0: And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal, the full story, real talk about money, markets, life. Now it's The Real Investment Show with Lance
1: Roberts presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show is of course, uh, <laughs> it's Tuesday. Already kind of getting through the week. Technically speaking, of course, as always, we'll get into a little bit of that in the markets today. And um, a few things. Uh, government announced yesterday they're going to reopen kind of investigation hearings, etc., on UFOs. Did you hear about this? I did. You did? Yes. And they're going to be interviewing, you know, people from the Pentagon and everything else, you know, some generals and some other military people about these UFOs. They're going to get Randy Quaid <laughs> come in. <laughs> Welcome back, boys!
2: There (laughs) are a few I suspect might be aliens among (laughs) us. This
1: could be. Could be. In and of itself. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Best movie ever, they live with Roddy Piper. So. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm here to chew bubble gum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubble gum. So. Anyway, uh, so I mean, that's that's really what we're getting into. Don't worry about inflation, Russia war, Ukraine, nuclear war. Let's investigate aliens. We're all out of bubble gum. I know exactly. Anyway, uh, some good news out this morning. Of course, uh, we talked about yesterday on the show that. If we got a rally in the markets, you know, uh, a little bit yesterday, and again, kind of this, you know, what I said in in particular yesterday, is if the markets finished down a little bit, that's okay, as long as they didn't give up all of their previous day's gains. And really, that's kind of exactly what happened yesterday. The markets did kind of open up and then sold off, really kind of flopped around most of the day, but there was some decent buying that was coming in most of the afternoon and again we kind of saw this little bit of lift uh, in the afternoons and actually you know we talked about these in in terms of a candlestick chart you know so when when you think when you look at a chart and you may not know what it's called but it's called japanese candlesticks and when you look at a a chart you'll see these kind of bars (coughs) you know up or down and that's simply just a a version of where the market opened where it closed and what happened in between and what i said yesterday was is that despite markets being a little bit choppy here over the last couple of days, we've had three green bars in a row. And that just means that what that means is that price action has been positive. And this is where it gets confusing. Price action has been positive even though the markets were negative yesterday. So again, it, it's it's a bit confusing. But what we're trying to do here is string together some positive price action that'll help lift the markets here in the short term. Now, this morning, markets are going to open up fairly sharply. The Dow's right now slated to open up a couple hundred points. S&P, NASDAQ will be up about 1% this morning as well. So we're going to kind of get that lift. And as we talked about yesterday, what we need here is this market to rally enough to start to squeeze some of these shorts that we've got out there. There's a lot of people that are short the market, very bearish. And if we can move the markets here a little bit higher, they'll start to cover. That'll provide some additional fuel to the markets. And we'll start to see a little bit more of an advance here over the, over the next few days. And that's that round kind of reflexive of rally we've been talking about. So we definitely want to use that to try to lift some exposure out of portfolios, rebalance risk, etc. So that's, you know, that's where we are. And, and things are, are kind of starting to firm up here a bit in the markets. And, and that's, you know, kind of a good news because, uh, you know, the one thing we've had a lot of here lately is just this kind of exacerbated selling. And, you know, last week in particular, it really kind of felt like that capitulatory type selling where people were just like, you know, screw it, I'm out of everything, you know, selling off their Bitcoin and and all kinds of other stuff. So, you know, it just kind of felt like that moment where investors just kind of gave up on the markets. And, And look, there's some evidence that that still really wasn't capitulation, but it had that kind of feeling to it, and the way the market was reacting, sentiment on in the media, uh, you know, emails that I'm getting, you know, from people really had that touch of that kind of just I'm giving up type moment, and that's normally what you see, you know, kind of near market bottoms. And you, if you take a look at investor positioning, and we've gone through these gauges, you know, with you here recently. But investor positioning is extremely negative our technical composite indicators are at levels that you know we've only seen at kind of bear market lows Uh, professional investor sentiment and positioning is also very negative now there's there's one thing here that we'll talk about which is this idea of cash on the sidelines there's not there's a lot of portfolio managers that have sold a lot of equity and they have cash on their books That's not really cash on the sidelines. That's different. You know, this idea of cash on the sidelines is all these millions of people out there in the universe that just have cash sitting around and they've never invested in the markets before. This is money that's invested, right? It's in mutual funds, it's in hedge funds, it's et cetera. But these managers have sold a lot of equity here recently and they have excess cash on their books. And that's, you know, even where we are, right? So even our own portfolios, we've got about 30% cash right now. So that money is going to get put back to work because most managers, most mutual fund managers, et cetera, they have a requirement that they've got to have 95% of their money invested the majority of the time. So having these very high cash balances can't last long. And when they go into the end of June, which is the end of the quarter, they're going to to start rebalancing portfolios. So we've got a lot of potential here that all that cash that's sitting out there right now in on on the books of portfolio managers has to come back in and that could certainly help provide additional lift to the markets as we go into the month of June. You know, plus this has just been a terrible start. This is the worst start to a year for the indexes since like the depression. <laughs> so, it's just been a terrible year so far for the financial markets. Very frustrating not surprising at all that investors have been reacting the way have but as we have talked about so many times be careful you know letting those emotions get the the control of you because this is where we tend to make our worst decisions this is where we tend to give up sell bottoms and then markets take off rallying and then we get really frustrated because now we sold the bottom and, and this is why we've been really cautious here about you know, talking about taking on, you know, some some additional risk. You know, we've been over the last, you know, two weeks have been just nibbling at some companies, Verizon, United Healthcare, Costco yesterday, just kind of nibbling on some positions, just things have gotten really beaten up. They're a, a decent value propositions for us. They were positions we already held in our portfolios that had pulled back a little bit on their weighting, just kind of rebalancing the portfolio a bit. And then on this rally, we're gonna reduce some of the higher beta positions in the portfolio, uh, you know, technology side and, and uh, other areas trim back on some energy now because energy is getting really extended, you know, start rebalancing the portfolio for what we might think the rest of this uh, this year is going to look like. So again, take advantage of what's going on here, but also don't let this recent market market volatility, which is, it's been tough. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you at all. It's been a very, it's been tough on me. <laughs> You know, so this this market this year has aged me by about 10 years. Just, you know, it's it's something that's, you know, very challenging to, to work through. But that's where we are. OK, so having said that, though, we are back onto a, a very short term money flow buy signal. That's good. That's going to provide some lift here as well. Uh, oversold conditions are starting to improve. That's good. That's starting to show a little bit of buying activity coming into the markets as well. So, again, if we can kind of string together this rally today, maybe one more tomorrow, might very well get, uh, you know, a bit more push here as we start to get those shorts to cover. Now, when we come back from the break, a few things to get into this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about the Fed, in terms of their policy actions, of what does that mean for markets, and, and what what they're doing now, and what the potential outcomes are going to be, but but also as we start looking forward to the rest of this year, you know, there's a lot of challenges ahead. We haven't we haven't gotten out of those woods just yet. So we'll be right back after the break. Pick up on the show right here it's the Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. See you in, see you in a minute.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Some people
2: don't know about bonds. I am told this is a bond. I've never seen a bond before. I never Owned a bond in my portfolio? It is terrifying. Get to know bonds in our next free lunch and learn. Thursday, June 2nd with Richard Rosso, Danny Ratliff, and special guest Lance Roberts. Register now at RealInvestmentAdvice.com. The thing about bonds with Ratliff, Rosso, and Roberts. RealInvestmentAdvice.com.
0: The Real Investment Show.
1: So good news this morning. Uh, White House is uh, near an agreement to reopen baby food processing. So uh-huh. this is good to yeah. get formula back on the shelves. There was a warning out just recently, you know, warning mothers, don't try to make your own baby formula. This is not a good idea. Just use regular cow's milk, you know, as a substitute if you can't get breast milk or go to a, you know, go to a medical facility to get, you know, breast milk. hmm Um, But because of this Abbott problem, Abbott Labs, which is one of the makers for baby formula, there's been a huge shortage of baby formula. There's been a problem. And so it looks like now the government is now kind of worked through, you know, the uh, kind of the process here. And Abbott announced, I believe it was yesterday or day before yesterday, they're going to start having uh, baby food, baby formula. Uh, back in production and on shelves by July. So it's 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 been a weird year for shortages. Weird stuff happening, right? So just, you know, you almost kind of wonder what's going on. But <laughs> it's, you know, baby formula shortages have nothing to do with Russia. That's just all there is to it. But It's just been kind of a strange year. We've had all these shortages show up in really kind of strange areas, and you know, it's been putting a lot of challenges on individuals. You know, trying to make ends meet, and this is causing higher prices. And you know, we've talked about the causes of higher prices, and and again, it's just, you know, it's important. These are important things, right? I mean, these, you know, this type of activity it, it has various impacts on the economy. You take a look at consumer sentiment. Consumer sentiment is so bad that, <laughs> you know, pretty much the, I can just almost see the pollsters coming out. On. Uh, so, uh, Mr. Clanton, how is your uh, sentiment today? Answer, F you. <laughs> I mean, it's just that bad. I mean, we are just to that point of sentiment that, you know, we are just, everybody's just kind of walking around pissed off. That's that's really kind of where we are. But that's bad economically. And, and this is... This is the problem that we've kind of gotten ourselves into, because this very negative sentiment that we have going on—it's it's looping into consumer activity. It's it's looping into you know um, you know what buying and selling decisions that that our people are making, and this is becoming a challenge, really, from two standpoints. You know, and we talk about the Federal Reserve and, you know, what they're trying to do. They're trying to hike rates. And, and, and think about the irony of this right now. The Fed's trying to hike rates in order to slow economic activity. And they're going, hey, we can create a soft landing here in the economy if we hike rates and, you know, make things more expensive, then people will consume less. But in their world, you'll still be happy. <laughs> the problem is that, We've now had this huge spike in interest rates on the 10-year Treasury, right? We're up around 3%-ish. And consumer sentiment has plunged. People are getting ticked off at this point because they can't afford to make ends meet. There's no more checks coming at this point. So the, the market, because of inflation, because of, of prices, shortages, all these type of things, the, the economy has already tightened up significantly. And now the Fed is trying to tighten monetary policy. But that's already been done for them. I thought it was interesting because um, Ben Bernanke, who was once hailed the hero on the cover of Time magazine, because of his efforts to, you know, bail out the markets in the economy post the financial crisis. Now, of course, it's the same guy that put us into the financial crisis. But you know, just because you start the house fire and you show up as a fireman, <laughs> you know, everybody remembers the fireman, not the arsonist. But so they were asking Ben Bernanke yesterday. They, they go, you know, what do you think about the Fed and what they're doing here? And he he basically said. He said, look, he's like, one of the reasons that they didn't act earlier is because they didn't want to shock the markets. Why? You should have shocked the markets. The markets were running away in terms of just total speculation over the last two years. And sure, the wealth effect is great, right? Markets are running up. People are taking on an excessive amount of risk. We see speculation in just about every form of every asset. And that was the time, right? When you had all that liquidity pumping into the markets, you gave people all these $1,500 checks so they could go get on the Robinhood app and start buying stocks. That's when you hike rates because people go, okay, you hike rates, so what? I've got all this money to invest in stocks are going up. And sure, the market wouldn't have gone up near as much. We wouldn't have had a 26% advance in 2020, right? You You just wouldn't have had that. Or 2021, sorry. You wouldn't have had that kind of a gain, but you wouldn't have been caught so far behind the curve in terms of monetary policy. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of platforms out there right now that are talking about the Fed needs to raise rates a lot. And and it's true. The, The Fed is very far behind the curve. The problem for the Fed, though, is that the market has already hiked rates for them. And now you're going to try to hike rates and play catch up with the market. Well, all that's going to all that's going to do ultimately is create a sharper slowdown, and that soft landing you were looking for becomes a recession, and things slow down extremely quickly. And look, and this this is why we've been talking about you know we're going to get this rally in the markets, and and we're deeply oversold. We're going to get a bounce, and you need to sell in that bounce because we're not out of the woods yet. This, the 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 bottom of the market is not yet in it doesn't mean we have to go a lot lower we could just keep flopping around these kind of recent lows for the rest of this year work off a lot of valuation problems work through whatever doesn't mean the markets have to crash just they usually do and if you have a recession which is now becoming more and more likely there's likely more downside to the market which is why raising a little bit of cash on this rally that we get will be important As Ben Bernanke said in the interview, there's a lot of support for the fact that the Fed is tightening now, even though obviously we see the effects in the markets. No kidding. <laughs> he says, you know, we'll see, that the, we'll, we'll see the effects in house prices, etc. Now, this is important because what he's talking about here is the disinflationary impact of Fed policy. We're all worried about inflation right now. It's like, oh, my God, inflation, 8.5%. Yeah, it is. It's not going to stay that way with the Fed hiking rates, with interest rates going up. House prices are going to come down. Homeowner's equivalent rent will come down. Food prices will come down. All that will eventually come down because high prices cure high prices. And you're going to have disinflation in, in the markets and in the economy. That's just a function of how the math is going to work. And the question becomes whether or not the markets are actually. Have the markets actually priced that in is would be a better way to say that and i suspect that a good bit of it has been priced in i think there's a reasonable expectation that a lot of the uh, that at least a good chunk of the work has been done particularly when you look below the surface right you get below the apples the microsoft's the tesla's and you get into you know a lot of these other companies and we talked about this before on the show they're down 50 60 70 percent there's been a lot of damage below the surface in the markets and that's that's good, right? it's It's washed out a lot of that speculative fervor. If you take a look at you know, you know trading volumes at, at Robinhood and other places, a lot of it's just stopped. Retail investors have given up. and thats that, and that's a good thing. Well, it's, it's a good thing and a bad thing. look, I, I don't like anybody you know potentially you know getting hit and, and losing money, but you know this is how le- and we've written articles about this is how lessons are learned. And when, you know, you you give money to young individuals who have never invested before, you know, they, they all kind of run out. It was interesting. You know, I was, I was telling you that I did an interview on Friday with Adam Taggart talking about Bitcoin and this whole, you know, phenomenon around Bitcoin, of course, the crash, and what happened with stable coins. And we had that conversation uh, on Friday. It was funny. I was talking to my son yesterday, and and we were just talking a little bit about you know the economy and, and markets. He asked me. He says, "You know, Dad, I heard the recession's coming." And I go, "Where did you hear that from?" He's like, "Oh, so I just I heard it on the news or something that I was watching." And so then the the you know the conversation kind of gyrated around to investing a little bit, and I mentioned you know the decline in Bitcoin prices. And he's like, "Dad, that whole Bitcoin thing's a scam." Now this is the this is this is the age group that's coming up, right? and it's kind of fascinating because the the you know all of him and so i started asking more questions like uh, to him and about his friends and they they all feel the same way it's like you know this is that's just a whole scam thing that's that's not really a thing and i'm like really that's very interesting because i just had this conversation and got a tremendous amount of of pushback on those views and that you know this is here to stay he's like ah ah (laughs) it's the old story So we'll see. But I just think I I think it's very interesting because there's there's this young group of there's, you know, this group of young people that were investing heavily in 2020, 2021 have now come under a tremendous amount of pressure. They learned the lessons of speculation the hard way, which is always the case. Right. Nobody ever listens to anybody. You know, before, and it was interesting remember, too, because they were all, and, and we wrote, wrote an article about this, is that they were all bashing Warren Buffett. Oh, Warren Buffett, he's a boomer. He doesn't know how to invest, right? And, of course, Warren Buffett has kicked everybody's butt, once again, as he always does. The same comments were made back in 1999. Investing with Warren Buffett's like driving Dad's old Pontiac, and he wound up just trouncing everybody over the next three years. Value investing works, right? Investing fundamentals works. That's what works over time. And, you know, we have to learn those lessons repeatedly the hard way over and over and over again. But we still don't learn. We'll come back from the break. I do want to pick up the uh, on the article that's on the website today. It's called The Disinflationary Impact of Fed Policy on Equities. And we'll talk about the impact on markets and money we come back from the break.
0: investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com
2: some people don't know about bonds i am told this is a bond i've never seen a bond before i never owned Owned a bond in my portfolio it is terrifying get to know bonds in our next free lunch and learn thursday june 2nd with richard rosso danny ratliff and special guest lance roberts register now at realinvestmentadvice.com the thing about bonds with ratliff rosso and roberts realinvestmentadvice.com
0: you're listening to the real investment show
1: Just for the break, talk a little bit about Ben Bernanke and, of course, his recent interview on CNBC, saying that the Fed's behind the curve, and they they're behind the curve because they didn't want to shock the markets, and they should have shocked the markets. You know, hiking rates a little bit sooner would not have you know created a massive bear market. There was too much liquidity sloshing around, and again, this is always kind of their how they're backwards, and what they do is that the time. That you want to start, you know, putting out the fires when the fire's raging, right? You don't wait for the fire to burn down the embers and then throw water on the fire, right? It's you do it, you know, while it's burning hot, and and this way, yeah, it tempers the fire a bit initially, but it's not easily extinguished because you have all of that fuel that is driving prices higher. So yeah, again, you know that they should have done it sooner, but hindsight's twenty twenty. But unfortunately, this is how they do it every time they're always kind of a day late and a dollar short to monetary policy. But I wrote an article today, it's on the website, talking about the disinflationary impact of Fed policy on equities. And, you know, the point here of this article is that when the Fed begins to hike rates, two things happen. One, the economy slows down and generally has almost always without exception ended in some type of, you know, crash, correction, financial crisis, bear market, one or all three or four of them, right? Just then it's happened every time. And, and the history is clear about this going back, you know, to as far as the Fed's been involved in manip- trying to manipulate markets. And, and when they became more active in trying to manipulate markets, you know, after 1980, the impacts became much more apparent but you know this also brings us into the this ongoing i had this conversation yesterday with a uh, a, a, a nice lady and she's very concerned about the markets and her money and you know, it's going to last, you know, make sure that her money's going to last her through the rest of her life. And, and sure, it's a big concern right now, right? Because markets are correcting, you know, but it, it's perspective, right? We're down 15%, down less than that today. Well, you know, when the market opens up today, we'll be down, you know, 11% or so. Um, you know, yes, the markets have corrected, but you have to keep in context of the money that's been made up to this point as well. So, yes, it's been a tough year so far, no doubt about it. But one of our big concerns is, and this is the kind of misnomer that keeps getting thrown around, is that, oh, well, you know, the Fed, you know, they're they're doing all this QE, then that's causing inflation. No, the the Fed's monetary policy is not creating inflation. That's fiscal policy coming from the government. Those are those checks to households that were sent out. And we've we've gone through this before and why. But sending checks to households is inflationary. And this is the whole flaw to to modern monetary theory, which – it was a foolish exercise in economics to begin with, and now we know the results of it. But the, but when the Q but when QE is in progress and the Fed is simply swapping credit for bonds, that doesn't increase the money supply. It's a it's a it's a it's a it's it's basically a circular transaction that does not impact the average American does fuel asset prices because the excess reserves flow back into the financial markets through the prop desk of the major banks. But outside of that asset price inflation, it doesn't inflate the price of food and those other type of things, right? So the problem here is is that QE is actually deflationary. And there's a reason for this because – when you start having QE it acts as a wealth transfer mechanism from the middle class to the rich and it's deflated. and this is why since 2009 as we were doing QE you never had raging rates of inflation in fact you always had more deflationary pressures than you had inflationary pressures during that entire time frame and this is because the way QE works it extracts capital from the middle class and shifts it to the upper class. And and we all complain about wealth inequality and all this, but that's what QE does. It's a a wealth transfer mechanism. And that puts more pressure on the middle class and the lower class. They they had less and less participation in the equity markets, which means they were more and more dependent on their sole incomes, which weren't really rising that much. And the natural inflation rate in the economy – was shrinking their standard of living. And so that that shift, that wealth transfer, led to disinflationary pressures within the economy. Look, once you're in the top 10%, if you're listening to this show, that means you've probably got money invested because people without money invested don't listen to a finance show, right? It's boring. Um, But if you've got money invested you're probably in in the upper percentile. This is a terrible, terrible statement, by the way. You're probably in the upper percentile of the economy. 90% of the stock market is owned by the top 10% of income earners. Right? So when market prices move up and down, it has very little impact on the bottom 90% of the economy. And look, we can go through, people go, yeah, but what about all the 401k plans? We've been through those numbers before. It's not what you think it is. 401k plans have been mostly a disaster for the bottom 90% of the economy. And that's why we have such a a problem with the number of people being prepared for retirement. You know, even after three major bull markets, 80% of Americans can't come up with $500. That tells you a lot about the, the problems that we have in terms, of, in terms of wealth and what's going on. But, you know, the, the problem with QE is that it, it exacerbates that situation. It looks like QE's working by increasing asset prices, and that should be making everybody wealthier, right? No, it doesn't work that way because 90% of the people own the asset. Sorry, 10% of the people own 90% of the asset that's going up in price because of QE. And that, and, and that inflation of asset prices was not just located in the U.S. It was global. It was everywhere. The central banks globally were inflating asset prices. Now we're reversing that process. And this is why, again, we're talking about, hey, use this rally to rebalance risk because now the Fed's going to start extracting that liquidity, at least for the time being, which is going to start impacting equity prices. Because you're extracting liquidity now from the markets directly. And this is and again this is kind of what the article goes through today is that no matter how you kind of cut this, the sentiment is so negative you're going to get a rally and we should be using those rallies for selling, at least for now because we have quantitative tightening going on right now. And as we have quantitative tightening, that is going to put more pressure on markets. And then eventually when the, the Fed screws everything up again, which they will, it's kind of like that buddy of yours that is always in trouble. <laughs> Guaranteed. You're going to fix this problem. And <clears throat> there's going to be another one right behind it. Um, but once QT is is done, we'll be back to QE again. Because that's now the cycle. And look, this, this is the same problem we have with government, uh, you know, following March 2020. We have clear evidence that sending checks to household is not a good way to create economic activity because you wind up with a massive amount of inflation that taxes away all the benefits of those checks to households. But yet, as we talked about yesterday... The first thing politicians are going to do now is go back to sending checks to households. Now that they've discovered that little magic box that gets them votes, it re- they really don't care about your economic equality. They don't really care about your economic health. They care about votes. And as we talked about yesterday, Governor, Governor Gavin Newsom out of California is now going to be sending out checks to households to Californians. Tax rebates. Because he needs to get votes. It's coming up for reelection. Why they keep electing him, I have no idea, but they keep doing it. And when we get back into the next recession, guaranteed. Look, and it doesn't matter whether people are conservative or Democratic or liberal or right or left or in between or on Mars. doesn't matter. They all want votes, and so they're all going to vote. They're all going to vote for sending checks to households. Oh, we've got to help Americans we got to get a chicken in every pot. This, and, and this whole idea of a chicken in every pot goes back to the 30s, right? Because politicians understand that if they give you something, you will vote for them. Even though what they're giving you is not good for you, you'll vote for it. It's like, oh, you're going to give me something? Okay, great. Wait, when I have inflation and I can't make ends meet? Yeah, well, you wanted the free thing. <laughs> now you got to pay it back. There's no free lunch. But this is why eventually we'll be back to doing QE. And as the market declines, you know, when we get to 20%, you're going to get start getting margin calls at 25%. Corporations are going to get in trouble at 30 35% down. You know, the economy is going to be in a very deep recession, and the Fed is going to be backpedaling as fast as they can to try to stop the decline, if it happens. If it happens. All right, quick break. We'll come back. Five things that science says will make you happier. I disagree with all of them. Be right back after the break.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Some people don't know about bonds.
2: I am told this is a bond. I've never seen a bond before. I never owned. Owned a bond in my portfolio it is terrifying get to know bonds in our next free lunch and learn thursday june 2nd with richard rosso danny ratliff and special guest lance roberts register now at realinvestmentadvice.com the thing about bonds with ratliff rosso and roberts realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show
1: So a uh, survey out, I was joking for the break a bit, but so a survey came out and it says the activities that make people happiest include sex, exercise, and gardening. So I'm sitting there going, exercise does not make me happy. I do it every day and (laughs) it doesn't make me happy to have to go. Now I feel better afterwards. So I guess I guess in that 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 manner, right? That you do, I guess you're happy after you work out, but going to have the workout not so much fun. Um, but sex is number one, uh, exercise number two, gardening was number three, and you know the the premise around gardening was is that you know as you're gardening, you're also creating exercise, and that leads you to have a healthier lifestyle. So there you go, right? Um, but they transitioned this study, and I thought this was interesting. I, I guess the, if you want to be truly happy, you know, you dress up in exercise gear and have sex in the garden. So, <laughs> Triple crown. Exactly. So you're just completely happy at that point. But it was a New York Times uh, piece, and it says the rich who are not the rich are not who we think they are, and the happiness is not what we think it is either. And I did think this was interesting. It said first, rich people, and these are people in the the top, you know, ten percent of the economy. The researchers found that about three times as many make the majority of their income from owning a business, as from being paid a wage. In other words, they don't work for rich people. Don't work for other people, right? They own their own business, and, and that makes complete sense. I mean, if you, if you really want you know, to increase your income and and increase your wealth, you know, yes, you can do it from saving and investing, but that's a really hard way to do it. People that have built wealth over time have done it through buying and selling a business. In fact, if you talk to you know wealthy people around the world, there's very few, and 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 I, I would argue that there are none that built massive amounts of wealth from solely investing in the markets warren buffett is you know hugely wealthy from investing in the markets but he's wealthy from berkshire hathaway and managing money for other investors and getting paid for that so you know ray dalio very wealthy um you know managing money for other people hedge fund managers very wealthy managing money for other people their business is what made them their wealth and most of that wealth is ultimately created by the the selling of that business at some part at some point right they you know we have a lot of clients that you know had a good income in, in life and they were doing well for themselves but they sold their business and that's where they made a tremendous amount of their wealth when they sold their their successful business so again you know rich people Tend to own their business rather than work for other people. Second, rich people tend to own unsexy businesses. Um, This was a study by uh, some statisticians, uh, Lou and Stark, examined which businesses were most likely to fold fastest. The kind that were most likely to go out of business quickly is a record store (laughs) because nobody nobody owns records anymore. The average record store lasted two and a half years. For comparison, the average dentist office lasts for more than 19 and a half years. Other businesses that fold quickly include toy stores, clothing stores, and cosmetic stores. And those range between three and four years. And that's, that's really not surprising because, again, you know, trend and sexy businesses like a clothing store. And, and you know, I've, I've had a lot of acquaintances over the years and they go, oh, I'm going to open up a... You know, a fashion store. I'm gonna sell the the latest hot fashions and they stay in business for about two years because the fashions change and then everybody goes shop somewhere else. And you just can't keep up. You can't you might nail it in terms of being the fashion queen for, you know, this five year period, but then you fall out of fashion because somebody else is gonna come along, a hotter designer or whatever, and then people can go shop over there. So that's a very tough business to stay in. But you know, a dull, boring business. People always got to have their their teeth cleaned, right? If you want a guaranteed business, be a mortician. <laughs> you won't be happy, and you'll and you'll have lots of ghosts hanging around. But
2: you'll never run out of you'll business.
1: Never run out of business. Well, you will eventually, but you probably won't be around for that. Point proven. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, have an extinction level event. I was watching too much Armageddon lately. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) And of course, there's plenty of, you know, there's plenty of unsexy businesses to choose from. But if you look at the people that make a lot of money, and look, you know, we can look at the the few number of people that have made a tremendous amount of wealth on quote unquote sexy businesses, you know, technology businesses, et cetera. But that's kind of really like, you know, the NFL in a lot of ways. You know, we can see the Twitters and the Facebooks and and those guys, but for every one of those companies there's been millions of people that have tried to start similar businesses and failed. Right? Those are that's a very small percentage of the number of businesses how on, on but by consequence, you know, if you want to start your own business, you can do that. There's, and that's the great thing about capitalism. It's a great thing about America. You can just go out today and you can form an LLC or a C-Corp, whatever you want, and you can start a business. And you can, you, can, you can build a very, very successful business and build a lot of wealth doing that. And it doesn't have to be sexy. It's simply just providing a product or a service that people need. And there's so many of those. And you don't even have to be original. You don't have to sit around and go, I gotta come up with an original idea. No, you don't. You just gotta build a better mousetrap. You know, you can you can do auto. How many auto repair people are out there, right? And you can come along and start your own auto repair shop, you do a better job, you charge a better price, you you provide better service, and you can build a very successful business. You know, it's not hard, and that's the great thing about the way capitalism works. And you can build that, but you've got to do something, right? You're going to have to take a risk. You're going to have to put capital at risk and be willing to lose that capital because businesses do fail. And you're going to have to be willing to work 80, 90, 100 hours a week when you start that business. You know, it's not going to be 9 to 5. You're going to be working all the time. And you're not going to be able to to get paid for quite a while. Biggest problem, biggest reason that most businesses fail is that people start a business. They start trying to take a salary to live on to support their family. And they run out of cash and have to fold the business. Can't do that. You're going to have to be willing to, 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 you know, do what is required to win. And you're going to get knocked down. And that's the whole big part about this, too, is that you're going to get knocked down. You're going to have challenges. You're going to have things not go right. And you're going to want to quit. And the difference between success and non-success are those that qu- that don't quit because a lot of people quit. They, they hit that first hurdle, and it's hard, can't pay bills at home, whatever it is, and they quit. And what what they don't realize is they were just at that point, like just another month or two, and they would have been okay. But that's when it gets the hardest. It gets hardest right at the peak. But that's just all part of, of building a business. But you can do it, and you can do it, and you can be very successful at it, but you've got to commit to it. It's like anything. And you've got to be willing to do it every single day, day in, day out. And that's just, that's just the part that's just the way that it works. And, and you can do it for any business. It doesn't have to be sexy. It doesn't have to be cool. It doesn't have to be hip. It's just got to be a business that people need. And that people want. I mean, I, I've, 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 I have clients. I know people that have the most unsexy, dull, boring businesses on the planet. And they do very, very well for themselves. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Because once you have that part figured out, the rest of it becomes fairly easy. And as you grow the business and as it becomes more successful and generates more income, then you can start hiring more people to take some of the workload off of you. But you've got to be careful. It's always about free cash flow. Do you have cash flow or don't you? Do you have an ability to weather a downturn? Those type of things. And, you know, this comes back ultimately to happiness. You know, it's always interesting. People say, and it's always when you hear, right, somebody will say, well, money doesn't buy happiness. Those are people that generally don't have money. But it's true. Money doesn't buy happiness, but it buys a whole lot of whatever comes in second. And, it, when you, you know, and when you talk about divorce rates and unhappiness, what are the two reasons for divorces? Right? Finances and infidelity. And if you're having a lot of financial trouble at home, you're probably having trouble in your relationship. You're not talking to each other. You're mad at each other all the time, and then that leads to infidelity, and and generally those two are the top two leading reasons for divorces. And so when you start, you know, making excuses for why you can't save money, and well, you know, money's not important, and you know, I, I you know, it doesn't matter. It does matter. Those are excuses for not taking the steps you need to become successful. And starting your own business and taking advantage of the opportunities they're all there for you right or you can just you know pick up gardening that'll be, apparently make you happy too <laughs> so anyway nakedly ne- naked gardening it's a new trend brent's gonna start a business not that one <laughs> uh For thousands of years, on all the readings of happiness, I concluded that modern happiness research can be summed up in one sentence: the sentence we might jokingly call the data-driven answer to life. And it follows: be with your love on an 80-degree sunny day, overlooking a beautiful body of water, having sex. The secret to happiness. All right, wraps up the show for today. We'll see you back here tomorrow.